Hello and welcome to the Erwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Stacey Clements and I'll be in the hot seat today. You can plan for many things in life, but not a serious injury. It leaves people feeling frightened and overwhelmed as they face up to a future they never envisaged. But things do get better. You can become seriously injured by many things, from a road traffic collision to a workplace injury. And the impact can be wide ranging. Some cause short term issues, but others can be catastrophic and cause long term disabilities. On today's podcast, we're going to focus on the difference the right type of support, determination and rehabilitation can make with the help of some special guests. Firstly, I'd like to introduce you to Rosie, a client of mine that I've been proud to work with over the years. Rosie, please could you tell us a little bit about your injury and how it changed your life? Yeah, so I was involved in a road traffic collision at the end of 2009 and As a result, I have a C5 level spinal cord injury. Following the incident, I spent nine months in the spinal injuries unit in Sheffield, uh, having rehabilitation and trying to recover from my injury and adjust to it as, as much as possible. When I left the hospital, I was able to move into some temporary accommodation. And at that time, I'd received the beginning of my physiotherapy rehab treatment and I was also involved with Erwin Mitchell to begin my personal injury claim. So there was a lot to adjust to for me and my family and also adaptations to do for the home and trying to move back and also put care in place which meant that I now needed 24-hour care. So a lot of adjustment did happen but I think then over the last 10 years that's when my real recovery has happened and you get used to life, which is now normal for me. Joining Rosie is Jo, another of our clients who suffered a serious injury in 2019. Jo, could you tell us a little bit more about what happened to you? So in 2019, in July, I was working as a stuntman, um, working on a film and I had an accident doing a stunt. It went wrong. It left me with a fractured skull and brain damage, severe brain damage. So... Yeah, I've I've been recovering since then. I think I'm at about the 19 months mark since my accident. I'm doing doing very well considering how bad it could have been. I've got a lot of rehab in place. It really has helped me to focus on some good things and not focus on the bad stuff, which I think is the main thing. Is there's a lot of a, a lot to do with the accident because I didn't see it coming. Obviously, like most people with a lot of accidents, it was it was pretty new to me. But thankfully, I've got a good team of people around me and also Jack and Laura, my solicitors, have been phenomenal in helping to make sure that the rehab's in place for me moving forward. There's a lot you've talked about there that we're going to discuss in detail today, especially around rehab and coping with change. You mentioned one of your solicitors, Jack Sales, who also joins us today. Jack, can you explain the role you play in helping our clients draw in such challenging times? Yeah, so when we're brought on board inevitably it's always following a traumatic event in somebody's life so it can be it can be difficult for most people they've never experienced serious injury before either themselves or or, or a loved one and so it's a kind of a a new world and a a new challenge that they have to have to meet so we we often come on board at at what is a very difficult time in somebody's life it can vary in terms of the timing sometimes we can be contacted and, and asked to come on board quite early on following an accident other times it, it's further down the line but I think whatever the time frame is um, our 
priority at the outset is is always what what rehab needs does, does the client have what can we do how can we use a legal claim to, to support that individual um, and make sure that they're getting the rehab that they require and in the case of of joe um, we were able to come aboard pretty pretty early on um, after his accident um, and because of that we were able to get some some funds in place and start getting some private rehab put in place at a very early stage and I think whatever type of injury somebody sustained the sooner you can get good quality rehab at an earlier stage the, the better the prospects are in terms of recovery so that that's always the priority. I completely agree about the importance of rehab after a serious injury and that's a view I've no doubt Rosie and Joe will also support. This is a really important subject so we wanted an expert view which is why I'm delighted to say that completing our guest list for today is Rebecca Bancroft, a senior physiotherapist and clinical manager at More Rehab. Rebecca, can you tell me a little bit more about your role and how you know Rosie? Hi there. I've been involved with Rosie pretty much from the start of transitioning from hospital to home. So our rehab team from More Rehab met Rosie while she was in hospital to help with the discharge planning and to make the seamless transition well, hopefully to make the transition as seamless as possible from hospital to home for her and looking at early rehab from the get-go, really. So looking at what equipment she needed to adapt to her disability and what kind of rehabilitation she needed from the start, looking at really early goal setting with the team of physiotherapists and occupational therapists that we have and working with Rosie from that all the way through, from the early stages of rehab through to achieving her initial goals and then reviewing where we were as regards um, her changing life, as regards what she was doing in life and adapting and focusing her rehab needs on what she needed at any given time. Thanks, Rebecca. If it's okay, I'd like to start by going right back to the early days of our client's serious injuries to understand how they felt at the time. Rosie, could you try to put into words what you were going through? Yeah, um, it was, of course, it was a complete shock. And because I had no knowledge of any kind of injury, like a spinal cord injury, and it was such a severe thing all to just happen at once. So I think from, from having no idea what really had happened to me, at the point of just realising that I couldn't move my body while I was stuck in the car, from from there to sort of arrive in a hospital and then starting to realise the severity of what happened. I think then my approach to it became trying to do things just one at a time because with an injury like that, there's so many different ways that you have to recover and also mentally just realise what has happened here. And at first, I think it was helpful for me in a way that I didn't know that much because it meant that I could just do things one one at a time, go through the process in hospital and see it as challenge by challenge, something that I needed to survive and then and then recover from and get my life back. And that's something that I had so much support with from all the people around me and I still do. And speaking of support, I know you've got a really strong family support network and close friends. Just how important have they been? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was really overwhelmed with how supportive my friends, family, yeah, and the professionals around me that you mentioned, and the the team of people in the hospital that that were there at those early stages to just get me through that that early point. My family and friends were there every day, being there for me, just 
trying to keep things as normal as possible. And I also then wanted to to show them that that I would be fine, that we would overcome it and then get back to life in a completely different way. But, you know, as long as you have your loved ones around you, I think you can overcome things. Thank you. Jo, I'm really interested to hear from you on the same point. Obviously, you and Rosie have got very different injury types and are at very different stages of your recovery. But what was it like for you in those early days when you came out of your coma? When I, when I was in a hospital, I didn't, I don't think my brain had quite connected to my body yet. So I wasn't aware that I was in a hospital. And then suddenly I was aware I was in a hospital, but I didn't question why I was in a hospital because why, I don't know. I don't know. I think just normal thought processes had gone out of my head at that point. So as far as I was aware, I just lived in a hospital and people came to visit. And some of those people I happened to know, some people I didn't. And that was kind of the early stages. I felt particularly in the first hospital, because I wasn't particularly connected at that time, I found that I'd find myself almost considering what's everybody looking at me like this for? Because I don't feel any different, but they're kind of almost making it up. What are they talking about? And I don't think in the very early stages of brain injury, I really knew what was going on. I didn't realize the implications. It took, it actually took a long time or probably almost a year to really start to work out how much of an impact it had on my life and it was it, that was really hard I, I grew up as a sporty guy I was a high level gymnast as a kid I went on to do parkour and uh, a variety of different sports and everything everything that I was particularly good at was practical so the brain injury took away all of that and all of the sports that I used to do I can't go back into any kind of team sports, nothing like that, anything that would even put me at risk. So it changed everything, everything that I was particularly good at as well. I was I was working as a stuntman. That's, I, I always felt that was the epitome of practical performance. And I felt like I'd achieved something. And then it was all taken away from me. So it's just one of those things, I think. As you say, we can't get away from the things your injury has taken away from you, but you seem to have come through the worst and reached a real turning point. What has kept you positive during this time? Prior to the injury, I was engaged to get married. My fiance Tilly has stuck around. Naturally, the wedding's been postponed, but um, she's still here and she has been phenomenal. I don't, I definitely wouldn't be at the position that I'm at now if she hadn't have been constantly encouraging me supported me, uh, gently reminded me that sometimes it's my brain that's making me do things. She's played a vital role for me. My family actually didn't adapt to the injury at all. They found it really hard to shift anything outside of their normal realms of, of life. And I, so when I was seeking uh, the support of like my parents, for example, um, and they were having their own battles with my injury. There wasn't much support there. And for some reason, Tilly managed to put aside how she was personally feeling and just be there for me every step of the way. To be honest, this confirmed <laughs> for me that I definitely want to marry her. Like if I didn't want to marry her before, I definitely do now. She was phenomenal. And 
I'm quite a positive person anyway. Some of my friends said that if this accident was to happen to any of us, they're almost they're almost glad it happened to me. Not glad that it happened to me, but out of everybody in my groups of in my group of friends, they think that I would be the person that would tackle it best. And I think that, that is very kind of them to say. That's so bring it on. It's really interesting that you would say that because while I was supporting Rosie on her legal claim, I heard similar comments about her and the amazing resilience that she showed during the early stages of her rehabilitation. Rosie, how did you actually find coping with such incredible change? Well, a lot of the time it seemed like an impossible mountain to climb. I think it just helped to, I knew there was so much I wanted to do and that I think I just had to tackle things one at a time. I knew I I still felt just the same. I was still just just me. Um, I was at uni when the accident happened and I wanted to go back and finish my degree. We were in the middle of the personal injury claim and I was so focused on that as well. And just to to get back to to my life, I think all you can do is try and be positive and make the best of the situation that you are thrown into. And there's no more that you can that you can affect than that. And um, you just have to deal with things as they come towards you and try and achieve the goals that you want to achieve. I'd like to bring Rebecca in here, who has been involved in Rosie's rehab from day one. What has it been like working together and how has your relationship grown, both professionally and personally, over the years? It has been a long time that I've been working with Rosie and um, <clears throat> lots of things have changed over the years. We've got a great relationship. She's, uh, she's absolutely amazing. I mean, everything, all of her goals that she wants to set and achieve, you know, she sets high platform and we work towards them. She finished a university degree um, and in the early days that was really, really tough. I mean, she was inspirational. That's what she wanted to achieve. And we targeted rehab around those sides of things, being able to use a computer, being able to have the breath control, to be able to um, type what she needed through, through a mouthpiece and having the energy to go to university. It was a daily, daily toil for her to go to university. And um, from a physiotherapy point of view, um, in the early days, there was, you know, some pain management that we had to address to allow her to be out in a chair and to be able to access university and get there. And our sessions were very much um, the goals and the sessions were driven around what Rosie's needs were at the time. But things have evolved over time in the sense that Rosie's um, a little bit older now. She's got different goals in her life and she's more settled. She's achieved her degree. And I think working with her is just inspirational because she's just evolving um into a you know a fantastic young woman and she's just got so many things that she wants to achieve in life and she's very driven and the rehab side of things for us is very much our relationship is very much you know um we talk about what she wants to achieve and we have um quite candid discussions about how we can achieve those things we have a really great dialogue with each other you know i'm there to reassure um advise support her carers who work with her 24 hours a day on how to continue the process of rehabilitation um, in between the sessions when I see her. We have lots of different focuses on what she wants to work towards. 
you know, there's going to be things that I want her to do as a physiotherapist. But then she says, hang on, these are things I want to achieve. And then we just talk about how we're going to address those things and gel them together. And um, we bump along really great. I think so, Rosie. I'm not sure about you. What do you have to say about that, Rose? <laughs> I think I would definitely agree with that. It's It's been amazing, the fact that Rebecca's been my physiotherapist for, for 10 years now and she knows knows me inside out and I have two sessions with her every week and I would not be without that the stability that I feel and the confidence in my treatment makes such a massive difference to my life and we work we work on a lot of things around pain and also goals like Rebecca mentioned you know making sure that my body's as active as possible with the different equipment that we use as well. So, we, yeah, we always have something to work on and it's amazing that that Rebecca is with me and that I have so much confidence and trust with our sessions. And Joe, coming back to you, can you tell us about your rehab and the professionals you're working with? I have a full team of, of uh, rehab therapists working with me at the moment. This covers neuropsychology, speech and language, I've got an OT, but she's a vocational OT, so looking at future careers. I have a physio, I have an MSK physio, I have a PT. Once a week I work with him, he's really good. So it gives me a choice of, not really a choice, I mean, let me rephrase that. Over the course of the week, it gives me a variety of different areas that I can work on. And... My therapy team are 100% there just to support me, just to bring the best out of me that's possible. And one of the uh, quotes that has really helped me is to trust the process. And throughout the rehab, uh, at first it felt a little bit like I was signing up to go back to school again. And I didn't really enjoy school, so I wasn't particularly for all of the rehab stuff. But now I'm a bit more used to it. It has continued to help me level up. And Rosie mentioned earlier about climbing mountains. And at the beginning, I only saw the most daunting, the highest mountain range you could ever imagine. Imagine, And even when you get to the top of the first mountain, there's a, there's a, a whole load more mountains coming. And that's that's such an overwhelming experience but when you have all of these different therapists working at all of the different areas around you i like to think of it as a bit like being a formula one car and i've got a pit stop team and they go for my tires and my engine and for everything else and that's my therapy team around me so who i was when i first came out of hospital is very different from who i am now and the recovery that i've made so much of that, as much as it is about resilience and a mindset, so much of that is about having the right people around me as well. And I feel like my therapy team have just been just amazing. Uh, I constantly, I'm always saying thank you to them after the session. Uh, they've all been really good. And it's, it's, some, it's something else when, for example, short-term memory for me, nightmare can't remember three things can't even remember why i've walked into the next room but 
going through all of that, and then I've got somebody like my OT Kim, and she's very on it with going, okay, well, yeah, if you do get there and you forget stuff, well, here's here's a strategy we can use. Okay, this is a different way of doing it, and it sort of just is a it's really good because the the accident took away so many abilities, and then my rehab team are steadily giving me loads of different strategies, which almost re-enable those abilities but i just have a completely different path to get into certain destinations the average person might be able to go from a to b quite comfortably whereas for me it's going to take me 14 hours worth of practice and three therapists but i'll still make it and it's sort of given me the opportunity moving forwards to have the best attempt at a normal life as possible using the the strategies, the therapist, and uh, just keeping your mindset as positive and as driven as possible. I've, I've, yeah, I think the, the, the therapy team, I would be a completely different person without them. They've, they've genuinely made a massive difference to my, to my recovery. Jack, we've talked a lot about the importance of rehab, and that's something we've been able to offer Rosie and Joe as part of their legal claims. Can you talk a little bit more about support that you and your team offer and the difference that it can make? Yeah, sure. So because essentially at the centre of everything that should be happening is, is the client welfare and their health. So in terms of the legal claim, we can try and gain access to, to funding to allow private rehabilitation to be put in place. I think Rosie and, and Rebecca and Joe have spoken about the challenges after such a serious injury. You know, you have the initial challenge of the realisation of, of what's happened and the impact on your health physically and, and mentally. And then you have the, the next challenge, which is once you're discharged from hospital, you're facing this new life and this new world and what happens next. Um, and so if, if there's funding available, the, a rehabilitation package can be put in place to then move the, the client to that next process once they're discharged home. Um, and there's no there's no one size fits all when it comes to, to rehab. You know, it has to be a tailored package, it has to be suitable to the individual's needs. Has to be the right therapists that's going to develop a good working relationship with with the individual. And I think what's important, as I, as I mentioned, is is the client's needs have to always be at the centre of this. So we can, as lawyers, do what we can to locate a rehabilitation case manager who can then put a, a clinical team of therapists together. We can hopefully gain access to, to funding and um, for that to actually be put in place. But ultimately, it comes down to the, the client's engagement and, and motivation to really, as, as Joe and Rosie have said, and um, to really get on board with that process. Um, and I think that that's where it, it comes back to how crucial it is for the client to be involved with, with goal setting. I think Rosie mentioned that she was a part of setting her own goals step by step. And that, that's certainly the case with, with Joe as well, with his therapists. And I think that's really crucial for motivation. Joe mentioned that, you know, to begin with, starting a rehabilitation package can feel a bit unusual, a little bit like going back to school. But I think if you're involved in that process, if you're involved in the conversations and setting your own goals, um, you, you can feel much more a part of it. Uh, and I think that really helps with engagement and, and uh, motivation. And Joe mentioned earlier, a key thing for him is his wedding. And I think one of his key goals from, from the outset, and it's still a goal for him now, is working towards delivering his groom speech um, and that's always been a, a goal um, a longer term goal for the therapist to work on and um, but of course there's many other goals 
along the way and, and steps. And to be able to really support your client through that process and to connect them with the right therapists and to help the whole goal setting process and to make sure we're all going where we want to be. How important is it as a lawyer that you take that time and energy to build and connect with your client and have that relationship and really understand what they want so that you can then meet that need? Yeah, I think that's crucial. I think those those are conversations that, that have to be had. You know, we we come into people's lives at a very difficult time and we have to talk about sometimes what are quite difficult issues and, and personal issues. And and so you have to develop a, a certain level of trust to be able to have those conversations um, in the best interests of the client. And in in Joe's case, you know, for the first year after his accident, understandably, his focus was was his health quite rightly so and, and focusing on, on the rehab so um, it wasn't until a bit later on in the process that Joe was a bit more involved in the, in the legal side of things but from that point on it's been great because not only have we been able to get to know Joe as a person it means we're, we're more involved we're, we're, we have a much better understanding of his needs and um, we get to know him on a human level as well as, as a person which is great because sometimes that gives you much better insight uh, into into an individual and what their what their needs are and, and what's a good fit for them so yeah I, I would say having that kind of relationship and trust between a client and the lawyer is, is pretty crucial in the same way it is for the, for the client and their their therapists. Thank you you've talked at length there um, about the brilliant relationship that you've built with Joe over the time that you've worked with him and what's that like for you as an individual um, having the opportunity to to work with a client like Joe? Yeah it, it, it's great I mean to be honest it's, it's quite inspirational when I first met Joe when he was still in hospital um, and it was clear that he'd suffered a very serious brain injury. I'm not even sure if, if Joe even recalls that that first meeting but since then up until today the, the change that I've seen in Joe through the hard work he's put into his, his rehab with a therapist is is remarkable. Yes he, he still has difficulties that are significant and, and the rehab will continue for a while yet but but the change in him between then and now is, is remarkable and I think speaking to to the therapists I think each of them would would describe Joe as a as a role model and um, in terms of how he, he applies himself to his, his rehab so I would say I'd say that that's certainly inspirational to see and I think one thing that always sticks with me is in respect of the the anniversary of the accident I think that's something which is so significant in people's lives who have suffered such a traumatic event and for a lot of people understandably it's a particularly difficult time because of the negative connotations but but Joe has spoken to me in the past about looking at it from a different perspective and I think it's something which he's, he's described as happy alive day but, but perhaps Joe can tell us a bit more about that. Happy alive day yeah it's a different way of looking at your anniversary the idea is that instead of looking at how different life is since before the accident, it's very important to acknowledge the goals that you've made since your accident. So for me, on the year year mark, it was going to be a devastating time. It, it's going to be for a lot of people with accidents. However, it became my happy alive day and it became a day where there was a big group of us actually all in small small pairs and we had a kayak up the Thames uh, I'll tell you what my anxiety was going through the roof but I had my life jacket on I had everything on um, and all of these other kayaks social distanced apart they were all just encouraging me 
And a lot of them are stunt people that could easily dive in and save me anyway. But if anything had gone sour, then, then I was pretty sorted. It gave me a different way of reflecting on stuff. So, okay, let's say, for example, that across most negative things, you can find a positive. Uh, COVID's happened. COVID changed Christmas for everyone, but everyone appreciated having a Christmas just with their family. A more key kind of Christmas. The Happy Life Day just gave me an opportunity to celebrate how much I'd achieved since my accident in terms of my recovery with all the right people around me, friends and, and just everybody just pushing, pushing to get the best out of me and celebrating how far I'd come. That was awesome. Rebecca, you and I have worked together for a long time now and you've helped many of my clients, all of whom have different needs. How do you decide what support will be best for them and why? We assess um, the client. We chat to the client, chat to their carers, their families. I get a really good picture of what that client's needs are. So um, whether they are physiotherapy needs, occupational therapy needs or speech and language therapy needs. And then we can get all the different members of the multidisciplinary team involved to do their individual assessments. At the end of the day, the key is to find what makes that person tick. So, you know, quite nicely, as um, we've spoken today with Joe and Rosie, it's finding out what motivates that person, what makes them tick to actually rehabilitate and to achieve their goals and what interests them to achieve those goals. Um, at the end of the day, rehab needs to be goal focused. Client focused goals are so essential to maximise the recovery You've got to get them engaged. If, if clients are not interested in what you're doing with them, then you're never going to make it to the next session and keep that client motivated and keen to move forwards. So at More Rehab, what we do is we assess the clients, whether it be just one discipline or two disciplines or, or three disciplines. Um, we assess them and then we can look at getting together as a team and planning the rehabilitation sessions and liaising with the, the legal team as to, you know, what this person needs, you know, how many sessions they need, what focus they need, and then looking at joint goals, and regular team meetings with the client, with the legal team and with all the professionals, um, the therapy professionals to look at, you know, what that person needs in the short term, medium term, and then looking at longer term with our clients and making sure that the right people are involved um it's so essential that we you know therapists are people that are going to click with the client it's you know it's not one size fits all every rehab package needs to be tailored to that client and um not all therapists are going to gel necessarily with clients so it's it's really important and paramount that you know the right therapist is put forwards for that client um, and then you've got a successful rehab package in place and you're going to optimise your goals um, and keep everyone motivated. And that is the key to ensure that that person has got the right rehab put in place. One of Rosie's goals was to be able to sign her own name so that she didn't have to rely on her dad to do that for her through the power of attorney that we did for her. And that was a, a really strong theme through a lot of her occupational therapy. And 
about three and a half years after her injury, Rosie, you brought me a card in to the office that you'd signed yourself. And I've still got that card. And it's one of my most treasured things because I I could see the three and a half years that had gone into you writing that that name on that card. And Rebecca, is there a moment that you could could show us or, or tell us about where you had a similar moment with Rosie? I think um, a similar moment with Rosie was was quite early on, um, well, not immediately, but uh, earlier on in the in the years that we've been working together. Is Rosie's um, wanting to look at self feeding, and um, Rosie's upper limbs are affected from her injury. So we worked a lot at being able to use her arms with electrical stimulation and loads of facilitated physiotherapy techniques to try and enable her to use the muscle power that she has got in her arms and regain a bit more strength. So we worked a lot on her being able to take hand to mouth with with electrical stimulation and physiotherapy to to be able to take a spoon towards her mouth. And we did achieve that with some cereal, (laughs) hand to mouth work. And one of the other biggest things for Rosie was being able to navigate her phone. That's been a really important um, aspect. Her phone and her iPad being able to access those key pieces of technology. Rosie relies on tech like that to be able to function, to, to be able to um, put appointments into her calendar and, and her diary in her phone. So being able to use her, her right hand to do that. And the other aspect is, um, you know, we have looked at being able to comb her hair with her right hand and we achieved that. And that was a great moment that, you know, she was able to, with a little bit of support, actually be able to use a brush into her hair. Moments like them are great. I think... Ever since it's been around 10 years since the injury happened, I think then you do quite a bit of looking back because I know something Joe mentioned was about moving forward all the time and looking what the next thing is. And it was interesting to hear that even though our injuries are completely different, that the approach to it is in many ways quite similar. Um, so that that's nice to hear. And it's also lovely to hear Stacey and Rebecca mention those achievements that I was able to make with the help I was given in quite early stages after my injury, such as signing my own name. And to to realise now that that's something I do without even thinking about it, but it was such a big achievement to make at the time. And as Rebecca mentioned, uh, using my phone was such a major a major development that was made because of the communication, all the doors they opened up. Being able to speak to myself in terms of typing messages myself rather than asking someone to do it for me. All those things are so important to your imp- independence and self-esteem that you have to try and build back up when you first have an injury. And how have you found the last year or so, Rosie, we can't escape the fact that we are still in a pandemic and the the impact of that in terms of being able to access therapy, see family and friends. I mean, our entire lives have, have changed again for everybody and even more so for for you in a lot of ways in terms of the ability that you have to access the outside world. How have you found that in terms of managing your mental health? You're, you're used to dealing with a very physical injury. But I'm quite interested to know how you manage your mental health at the same time. Yeah, it's been um, it's been quite a year, hasn't it? And it's interesting. Um, I was speaking to Rebecca about this the other day during our session, 
And I think also looking back, the fact that I did spend nine months in hospital, um, so restricted, unable to move um, for a short time, unable to speak even, and stuck in that one room, often stuck in bed the majority of the time. It's prepared me quite well for something like lockdown because that time when I was first injured, I was really, so I really was stuck then. And so I think I've been able to look at things that I feel grateful for during lockdown. Yeah, there's been times when when you just feel so low and you you don't know how to keep yourself positive. But being able to leave the house, walk the dog, even just get up out of bed and be around the people that you live with, be in your own home. I think I've been able to cope reasonably well with it. And it's it's helped the fact that I've been able to keep up some normality as well. Still seeing Rebecca for my sessions, um, which is an essential thing. My care staff have been so supportive, kept up a solid, solid team for me and and my family being around me. So I feel quite positive coming through it now. You said something to me a while ago that really made me think in terms of how we now use technology and Microsoft Teams wasn't a thing. We didn't particularly use Zoom or Skype that much. I don't think as a society and now it's normal to do that. And you said you felt that actually that leveled the playing field for you a little bit in some ways. And it gave you access that you perhaps didn't have before if you weren't able to make a, a meeting or you weren't able to access a building or or something along those lines. How do you feel about that now you've had a bit more time to to get used to the, the pandemic life? Yeah, that's right. Um, with With technology being used just regularly, people are so used to it now. And yeah, it's some, although the world is becoming more and more accessible for people with disabilities there still are a lot of places that that you can't access for, for many different reasons and yeah I, I do feel now like I can take part in things even if I can't get to a certain place so if it needs to be a meeting um, on Microsoft Teams something like that I'm still able to take part rather than being separated because I physically can't get somewhere. Jo, how have you found the pandemic? You have probably, I think, spent more time since your injury in a pandemic than out of it. How has that impacted, if at all, on your mental health and how have you you managed that? The first lockdown was phenomenally hard. It was just really hard. We live in a one-bed flat. It was like a prison cell. I couldn't go outside on my own. I wasn't confident enough to do that. And then, of course, lovely of Boris to say to everyone, get outside, make the most of it. Uh, you're only allowed out once a day. <laughs> and uh, So that meant that it was then suddenly really busy around my flat. Uh, kids, dogs, cyclists, like everything. All sorts, all over the shop, going all over the place. So much noise, so much, um, so much to, to cause a sensory overload. And the thing with my brain injury is that if it is a really loud place or there's lots of movement with dogs running past or kids or anything else, 
that's that's an overload for my brain and i find that really hard hard so if if i'm in a quiet room then that's perfect i'm just i'm happy in my own little world but as soon as you throw all of these other things into it it makes it much harder so in the first lockdown back when the world didn't know quite what was going on or how to adapt to it uh, i didn't have a clue what to do either and i was battling a lot of anger issues uh, I can now say that I feel like I'm in on top of my anger and my mood control. But with the brain injury, a lot of there was a lack of mood control. I didn't know what to do with all of the chemical chemicals getting released in my brain. And and I was, I'm quite a big lad. I'm six foot. I lost about 12 stone of muscle in in my accident. But it's slowly, slowly building it back up. But the first lockdown, I suddenly got this. Uh, this anger that I can't control. I don't remember it. I can't then learn from my mistakes because I don't remember doing it in the first place. But there's a point at which you can acknowledge that your hand's hurting and there's a hole in a wall. And I'm, I must have smashed it up. I can't, I can't remember. I don't have any recollection. But I'm stuck in this flat and it's only me. And there's... there's there were a couple of times where I was I was breaking things. I never hurt anyone. I didn't hurt myself other than punching stuff and hurting my hands. In fact, I've, I'm still recovering from the injury on my hand, and that's nine month, over nine months ago, I think. Um, that was the first lockdown. And so a lot of people outside of outside of my circle did they didn't understand everybody else was seeing all the hardships that they were facing but they didn't necessarily understand that my fiance was one-on-one -on -one with me smashing up the flat and putting my hands through the walls so we've luckily had it repainted and replastered and the, the flat fixed up but it was a really 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 hard process and I couldn't go outside <laughs> because it was too loud and too scary uh, I didn't go out unless I was taken outside, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave for weeks. So that was the initial early stages. But I would also say that the lockdown has then presented it, uh, a number of opportunities that I wouldn't have been able to face if COVID wasn't, uh, wasn't about, for example, I can go into towns that are completely empty because nobody's allowed to go there so i can walk around it i can get myself completely used to an environment before flooding it with all the noise and the people and all of the things which make my brain go into overload all the things which make it harder to approach stuff and there, there there's a lot of there's a lot to be taken from the fact that we're recovering from these kind of injuries in this kind of pandemic I think, I think men mental health battles, uh, they're now highlighted as that being an issue. People were aware of mental health as a, as a, on a broader spectrum. And I think that's a very important thing because people alone, not speaking, I don't think that's healthy. Um, and it shows it showed the average person how quickly life can change and i really hope that nobody has to go through the kind of injury that i've been through or or rosie's been through 
But this is how life can change just from an external situation going wrong. And suddenly there's this disease taking over and everyone's got to stay inside and no one can go on holiday and you can't do anything that you're used to doing. And all of those abilities have just been taken away from you. I, I think that it's the perfect situation to reflect on what it must be like to have a disability when all of your abilities suddenly get taken away from you and you can't change anything about it and you're not allowed to and there's not really a way for you to work out how to survive. And Joe, it's obviously impossible to imagine what it's like to live with a brain injury, but what keeps you going on a day-to-day -day basis? Because we talked earlier about um, uh, the importance of having the mountains in front of us. And Rosie mentioned just then how it is so nice to get to that end point and then go, oh, okay, I can have a brief rest and now I'm on to the next mountain. But it's such a refreshing thing to be plugging away and going, all right, I just got to do one more step. Okay, one more step. And then you're doing one step all the way up this mountain. And when you get to the top and you see the next one and you're ready for that, it's also really nice to then turn around and go, hey, look how far I've come. Like, I did that. I did that. I overcame all of this. And I've got to this point, And that's come about because I want to be here. And that is such an empowering thing. One thing I'd add on to that is that with brain injury, every you get told at the hospital, every brain injury is different. And every brain injury is different is basically the medical staff's way of saying, we have no answers for your questions. Oh, you want to know if you're going to live longer? Ah, we don't know that one. Oh, do you know if I can walk again? Ah, I don't know that one. Okay. And then you go on and there's all these things and they don't really have any answers. And of course they don't. Okay, fair enough. But giving me the answer, every brain injury is different, doesn't give me much encouragement. It doesn't really provide me with any hope. But just as even just to change the word in, every brain injury is different becomes every brain injury is unique. So therefore, now that every brain injury is unique, nobody's had this brain injury that I've had. Nobody knows how to bat it. Sweet. Well, that's perfect because I'm going to work it out. And then when I've worked it out, I'll say to everybody who said that I couldn't do this, I'll, I'll prove you wrong. OK, you reckon that's not possible? Well, I don't know if it's possible either, but I'm going to give it a good crack and I'll, I'll let you know how I get on. And from having that approach the whole way through my recovery so far, I seem to be doing quite well. So I'm going to crack on and keep doing that moving forwards. I want to keep looking at how how can we bridge the gap between what the disabilities prevent? How can we bridge that gap so that people with disabilities can experience the most normal life possible. And I think overall, people don't really know what to say or how to approach stuff. So I think the more awareness there is, then probably the better for that. I have no idea how to follow that um, answer, Joe. Thank you. It was absolutely fantastic. And thank you for your honesty. You're welcome. Uh, my brain means that I find it hard to stop sometimes. <laughs> you might notice <laughs> that go. Um, so I'm glad there'll be some something in there that you'll be able to take away from it. Thank you. Rosie, we're moving towards the end of the pandemic and we are starting to open up again. What are you most looking forward to over the next 12 months? What's your focus and what are you going to spend your time doing for you? 
well, it has reached the point where you can start to look forward to things again, I think. And I'm re- I can't wait to travel again. I know everyone wants to go on holiday. I have a villa in Spain, which I can't wait to get back to. And things like gigs, going to the football, um, spending time with my friends. Yeah, just all those things seem now like they are around the corner, hopefully. And I can't wait to get on with it all. And how about EJ? What's your focus for the next 12 months and what are you looking forward to as things start to feel a bit brighter? Well, I'm still in full-time rehab, so for the, for the time being, I'm focusing on that. But I'm also, I also just launched my art Instagram and I've got an art studio and I'm, I'm looking to continue doing that. So hopefully there will be some work for that in the future, which will be a little bit different. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. I've just started doing a mural my first mural outside it's been fun so that's pretty cool and uh, aside from rehab the next 12 months I still feel like I'm in the foundation year of uh, foundations years of building from my brain injury but I can't wait to kind of see my friends maybe see some family kind of almost everything that that we weren't able to do before but also prior to the lockdowns, I didn't really want to see people. <laughs> so I'm excited to actually see people now and move on a little bit with my life. And hopefully there might be some public speaking coming up. So I'm looking forward to those opportunities. They take me completely out of my comfort zone, which I think is a good thing. It's, it's important to find that. So I'm actually really excited for the next year. And one thing that I keep saying (laughs) since I got my injury is onwards and upwards, because (laughs) from where I've come from in this recovery so far, that I can't go back that way. There's no chance I'll be doing that. And yeah, I'm just excited to uh, to see where the next year takes me. And your Instagram is at jwattsart if anybody wants to have a look. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, just something that is important to me to mention is that yeah, I think from the very beginning, following this injury, um, the uh, expertise and empathy that that I received from both Erwin Mitchell and more rehab, in particular Stacey, Rebecca and their colleague, is so important to me and has been to my recovery since the beginning and up until now. Yeah, that's just something that I wanted to to make sure I put across. I'm going to second that as well. Uh, Exactly what she said, but the same from my side. It's been spot on. So, thank you. That's that's just lovely. Well, you know, I think you're bloody marvelous anyway. So there's not much more I can say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. But seriously, thank you to Joe, Rosie, Rebecca, and Jack for being here today and sharing so much with us. Hopefully our discussion will be helpful to someone who has had a life-changing serious injury and remind them that brighter days are ahead. If you found this interesting, then please join us for our next episode.